Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, well, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Rees listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off, visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. I'll handpick a different piece of short fiction and read it to you each episode. The only thing these stories have in common... I love them, and I hope you will too. Welcome to part two of Empty Places by Richard Parks. If you didn't catch part one of this story, please check out our previous episode. And if you're ready to hear part two, here's where we left you. We've got our wizard, Timon, and our thief, Jane. They're on their quest to infiltrate the Queen's Chambers at Willandia and leave a package in the Prince's nursery. And they've made it as far as a musty, cave-like fissure beneath the castle. A secret passage. Jane tries to shake Timon down. And Timon gives Jane a strong warning. Stop trying to give me reasons to kill you. They're irrelevant. I'll harm you if and only if I want or need to. That's not much reassurance. It's the best I can do under the circumstances. Now, climb or die. The smell Jane had noticed when he first entered the fissure got stronger as they climbed. After about 30 feet or so, there was very little doubt. Is that... Timon's nose wrinkled in distaste. Human excrement? Yes. Further up, they came to a broad ledge created by an irregular crack in the stone. There they found a dunghill so regular and ordered that it almost looked as if it had been shoveled up just so. Cave insects, and Jane didn't want to imagine what else had discovered this lowly food source, the pile was almost writhing with life. Far overhead, there was a faint light. As you may have surmised, this leads to the garderobe in the Queen's apartments, Timon said. The only reason the smell isn't worse is that it's only used by one person usually, Her Majesty. Plus, 
The beetles and worms do a fair job of breaking the royal waste down to compost. Not that anything else would grow down here. But why turn the fissure into a latrine? They could be contaminating their wells. There are no wells. They use a system of large-capacity cisterns. Given that, and the fact that this is not a normal cave and therefore has very little water to contaminate, the design makes perfect sense. I fancy the smell at the upper levels is hardly noticeable, and the pit is so large that it never has to be mucked out. In the builder's place, I'd have done the same. Despite Timon's expressed admiration, they moved more carefully after that. The natural stone steps that allowed them to climb the wall hadn't gone totally unblemished, and more than once they had to avoid coprolytic deposits of varying ages. After this, they'll likely smell me even if they don't see me, Jane grumbled. It's a risk we'll just have to take, Timon said cheerfully. As they approached the top of the wall, Timon paused for a few moments and pulled out a parchment map. He found a clean spot on the stones and kneeled down to unfurl the map. Jane leaned in so he could see. This is the floor plan for the level just above us, and here, he said, pointing to one of a cluster of small rooms, is where you will emerge. The queen's bedchamber itself is here, and the nursery is on the other side. You can also reach the nursery through the hallway, but unlike the Queen's own apartments, there will be guards there. If you can stay within these rooms without being discovered, he used his finger to draw an imaginary circle around the entire cluster, you should be fine. And what if the Queen is in her apartments? I fancy she is, considering the hour. You stealth, Timon said, then added pointedly, and nothing else. Jane nodded. Understood. Not that he wanted to harm the Queen of Wallandia, or anyone, come to that, but being a thief meant, whenever possible, keeping your options both open and as plentiful as possible. You never knew when you might need another one. There was a light still from above, Jane recognized the distinctive flicker of a candle shining down through an appropriately sized hole overhead. They were careful not to get directly below that hole, but when they reached as near to the top as the natural steps in the stone would take them, they were still about ten feet below the garter robe and about as many to the side. Timon reached into the bag slung over his shoulder and pulled out a length of rope and a grappling hook, its tines wrapped with cloth to muffle them. Thick wooden beams supported the rooms, and below those beams, heavy braces had been set into either side of the stone. Timon aimed for the brace nearest to the garter robe, and after an expert twirl of the rope overhead, hooked it on the first try. Climb up and do what you came to do, Timon said. I'll wait here until either you return or I know you've been caught. If I'm taken, aren't you worried that I'll betray you? No, because I'm certain you would, if you thought it would save your own skin. And why not? I'd do the same. Now, go. First, Jane handed his pack to Timon. 
You know, I can't climb with this. Someone more foolish might have tried, though. Don't worry. I'll keep it for you. Jane grinned. Why should I worry? Jane tested the rope. It was thinner than he would have preferred, but surprisingly strong, and the hook was well-placed. Jane took a good grip and gently pushed away from the stone ledge. He swung drunkenly over empty space for several distinctly uncomfortable seconds before he managed to clamber up the rope and grip the brace. After that, climbing up was easy. He reached a point just under and behind the garter rope seat where he crouched, his feet securely planted in the lee of adjoining braces, and listened for several seconds. He heard nothing. Her Majesty has just left a nightlight. How practical. Jane traced the edges of the seat. The opening, of course, was too small, but a slight push told him that the entire slab was simply sitting within the wooden frame, using its own weight to anchor it. He slowly straightened up, lifting the seat as he did. The seat was made of white marble. Jane only recognized it because he had once stolen a small statue made entirely of the rare stone. It was also fairly heavy. Nothing's too good for Her Majesty's royal butt, apparently. Must be cold, though. When he was high enough to see that the garter robe was really empty, he very carefully set the seat aside on a section of bare wood on the bench that made up the frame for the slab and pulled himself up and into the small room. A thick candle burned unattended on a stone table to the left. It gave a weak but adequate light. The only exit was closed by a curtain instead of an actual door for which Jane was grateful. Iron hinges tended to squeak, something drapery generally did not do. Jane carefully set the garter robe seat back in its place before he pulled the curtain aside and stepped into the next room. He waited for his eyes to adjust to the darkness. Timon's been right so far. The map had identified the room Jane stood in as the Queen's changing room. With what Jane could see now, that appeared to be true. There was a tall linen press for bedding, several large chests for storage, and a fairly large glassed window on the outside wall to take advantage of whatever light might be available. That glass must have cost a fortune, not to mention that marble garderobe, the horse trade. Must be more lucrative than I thought. While it was true that Willandian-bred horses were much in demand, it was only now that Jane was starting to understand the true wealth of Willandia. The kings of Willandia had long held the reputation of being fairly belligerent neighbors, though, in truth, most disputes tended to end as little more than border skirmishes. Still, there were a lot of them, and... It was these flare-ups that tended to be what people first thought of when the name Willandia was mentioned, not the relative prosperity he had seen both in the castle and the village at the foot of the mountain. Perhaps it is the kingdom's small size that makes it feisty, or perhaps it is simply that ill-tempered bastards tend to breed the same. Jane shrugged. Either way, it wasn't really his concern. He was close to fulfilling his obligation. 
After that, he'd have to worry about Timun's true intentions since the only other ways out of the castle were either down the cliff or out through the gate, and neither alternative looked any better than, if necessary, taking his chances with Timun. Jane crept to the second curtain that separated the changing room from the queen's bedchamber. The queen was not sleeping. Jane peered through the curtain and froze in place. There were two candles burning on a small table, but that wasn't what worried him. The one in the garter robe suggested that Her Majesty might be afraid of the dark. He'd seen such often enough before. No, it was the sight of the queen sitting at that small table within that candlelight. She's just a girl. On second look, he revised his impression a little, but not much. She was probably 16, maybe 17. Marriageable age, especially by royal standards. She had long, dark hair bound into one braid that ran down her back. She looked small and alone, sitting in a pool of candlelight as her pen scritched on the parchment in front of her. Is she crying? Her eyes were red, but that just could have been the result of writing in weak light, since the candles were barely augmented by the weak moonlight coming in the window. Every now and then, she would use a kerchief to dab at her eyes. Jane stared at her perhaps a bit more openly than he should have, but all her attention was on the parchment in front of her. She paused, apparently thinking of what to write next, then turned back to her work. Jane watched her with a mixture of fascination and discomfort. He had never been so close to royalty before and certainly not a queen in her own chamber. Forget being a thief. Anyone caught in a queen's chambers who didn't belong there could count on their head being the part of their bodies that would be chopped off last. Jane knew this, and yet he couldn't stop staring. He frowned. Here, in the depths of leisure and luxury... What bloody right does she have to be unhappy? In a moment, the answer came to him. The same right as anyone. It's not always something you earn. Jane wondered, perhaps, if that thought had really been his own. He decided that it was. After all, it was true enough, even though there certainly were people who deserved unhappiness and more. In his darkest hours, he sometimes thought that perhaps he was one of them. He shook his head slightly, and the curtains fluttered. Fortunately, the queen took no notice. Do your job and get out, fool. The problems of one silly girl queen are not yours. He kept still and waited. After what might have been a few minutes, or perhaps longer, the queen seemed satisfied with what she had written. She rolled up the parchment and used one of the candles to drip wax for the seal. Lyasa, come here. The queen only had to repeat the call once before a middle-aged woman emerged from one of the side rooms that had been marked Lady-in-Waiting on Timon's map. Her eyelids drooped and she carried a small candle of her own. Yes, Majesty? I'm ready to retire. I've left a scroll on my writing table. In case I don't rise early enough in the morning, I want you to see that it gets to my post rider and no one else. Is that clear? Yes, Majesty. 
I'll take it now for No! The queen stopped, then continued in a calmer voice. No, uh, that's all right. I might... I might change my mind. If the scroll is still on my table in the morning, please do as I instructed. Yes, Majesty. Would you care for a cup before you retire? There's still some brandy wine left. I'm surprised, the queen said, but then smiled faintly. Yes, Lyasa, thank you. The woman disappeared back into her room for a moment and returned with a small goblet, which the queen drained at one gulp. She made a face and coughed, slightly. There's the end of it, and that's probably best. Good night, Lyasa. Sleep well, Majesty. The servant woman curtsied and withdrew. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. The queen went into the nursery for a while, apparently to reassure herself that the child was well, then returned and snuffed out the candles. Jane kept still and let his eyes adjust once more to the darkness as the queen removed her outer robe and crawled wearily into her overstuffed bed. Quickly, her breathing evened out and Jane heard a faint snore. Too quickly, in Jane's opinion, Clearly, some small crisis was in play. The change of plans hinted at this. Had the queen's servant placed something in her drink, perhaps to help her sleep? If so, all the better. Jane waited a little longer, then slipped into the room. He glanced at the queen in her bed and then at the door to the servant's room, then started across the chamber. When he got to the table, he hesitated. Something to prove I was here. That was the bargain. 
The seal was the obvious choice, but a little too obvious. The queen of Wallandia's personal seal would be proof to anyone, but only if he were fool enough to let it be known he had such a thing. Then it might be worth more than his life. No, something else, something less likely to be missed. Like, perhaps, the letter. If the letter was no longer there in the morning, then the servant would assume the queen had changed her mind. If he was right about what had been in that goblet, then the queen would not wake early and find the letter gone as she had instructed. And if the letter never arrived, well, that wasn't such an uncommon thing. A private letter from the queen of Hollandia bearing the impression of her seal. Perfect, but also risky since he didn't even know what was in the letter. Yet Jane realized that was part of the appeal. He wanted to know what was in that letter, who it was for, what it said. Moreover, he wanted to know why such a person could be so unhappy. It was there, in her face, in her bearing. It was also none of his concern, as he had told himself more than once, and yet he still wanted to know. Jane hesitated, then left the scroll where it was. After that, it was the work of but a moment to slip into the nursery and leave the package by the royal crib. He hesitated at the nursery door on the way back, and that was the only thing that saved him. Someone else was in the queen's chamber. Lyasa crept across the floor and glancing several times at the bed to make sure her mistress was still sleeping, she took the letter. So, that was the reason you slipped your mistress that draft, not giving the poor girl a chance to change her mind, are we? Who do you really plan to deliver that letter to? Liasso left the chamber immediately and returned to her own room. The way was clear now for Jane to slip out through the garter robe with none the wiser, and he knew that was exactly what he should do. Jane turned to the sleeping girl. You're in a sorry pass, Majesty, when a thief like me serves you better than your own. Jane waited as long as he dared, then crept into the servant's room with all the stealth and skill he could muster and stole the letter back. Taman, as promised, was waiting for him in the dark cavern beneath the castle. Is it done? Jane sighed. Do I die if I say it is? That's answer enough, Jane. You and I both know there's nothing I can swear that you'll believe, so let me simply say this. If you try anything foolish, you will certainly die. It's more or less the same choice you've had all along. Here's your gold, by the way. I'm not carrying it for you. Jane took the bag, but he remained on guard. Where are we going? Back to the Serpent's Path, of course. Safely out of Willandia. That was the deal, remember? I remember. But after? Timon sighed. Jane, for a thief and a rogue, you worry too much. It was the fourth day of their return journey. They had made camp once more at the highest point of the pass, looking out over the plains of Willandia. 
Once more, Jane had been summoned from a sound sleep, only this time, when he glanced back at the fire, he was a little relieved to see that he was not, in fact, still sleeping. Even so, Timon was waiting for him on the ridge. The magician didn't say anything at first. He just stood looking out on the distant plain and a sky full of stars. If you're ready to kill me now, just do it. No suggestions for jumping off of a cliff in the morning or any of that nonsense. Please, do me the courtesy of being direct. He sensed rather than saw the magician smile. I am always direct in my fashion. I see you burned the letter. Yes. Jane wasn't surprised that Timon knew all about that, though he knew he should have been. Why? If you already know what was in the letter, then you know why. Timon sighed. <sighs> That's just it. I do know what was in the letter, and I don't know why you burned it. I want you to tell me. I think it's important. If that's true, first tell me what the letter said. I don't know, Timon said simply. Jane put his hands on his hips. You just said that I know what was in the letter. I did, and I do. It was the letter of an unhappy young woman reaching out to an old friend. Am I wrong? Jane thought about it. No, you're not wrong. All right. I burned the letter because it was dangerous to keep it. Dangerous? For whom? For me. For all concerned. All right. For her especially, if it came into the hands of her lord the king, who is not noted for his compassion. It's best this way. Timon nodded. Because the old friend she was reaching out to was a former playmate who today happens to be the heir of Marash. Yes, you were right to burn it. But doing the right thing is not part of your reputation. Nor yours, if I may say. Yet, I have to ask this. Did you send me there to steal that letter? Was that silly gift just the pretext? For a moment, the magician acted as if he hadn't heard. When he spoke again, it was as if he were speaking on another subject entirely. Like the Willandian Dun breeding stock itself, there are many admirable traits of the royal bloodline of Willandia. They tend to be brave and honest and shrewd. They also tend to be bad-tempered and stubborn. Uh, pardon me, magician, but this is well known. Though there are few who would say as much to their faces, and certainly not the current king. Timon smiled. So, if... Perhaps one wished to effect a change in their behavior, one might look for more indirect methods. Jane thought about this. Such as? Such as preventing a misunderstanding between a young married couple from turning into something more intractable. Such as leaving a sweet and thoughtful gift which the king himself forgot to do on the occasion of the birth of his heir. Such as... In the face of that gift, a queen might perhaps reconsider her harsh appraisal of her new husband and treat him with a little more patience, such that the king, in turn, might come to know his queen a little better and, in turn, treat her with more of the gentleness she needs and deserves. The smallest seeds grow the mightiest trees, Jane said. 
repeating an old proverb. Not always, Timmons said, but everything large or small has to start somewhere. He shrugged. Who knows? Maybe the new prince of Willandia will grow up to be a mite less of a bellicose bastard than his father. One can but hope. How did you know that I would steal that letter? For that matter, how did you know about the letter in the first place and the possible consequences? The magician didn't answer directly. You were born with a talent for moving quietly and tricking locks, so you became a thief. It would have been strange if you had not, yes? True, but I don't see what that has to do with anything. Just that it's the same for me, Jane. Hidden things, remember? I was born with the talent to see the places where history turns. It's not that I want to. I have to. There came a time when I could no longer ignore what I saw, for good or ill. So, it was all preordained, Jane asked. He sounded bitter. Don't confuse possibility with destiny, Jane. I knew about the letter, yes, and how it might fall into the wrong hands. I did not know for certain that you would take it. Huh, what if I hadn't? Timmons shrugged. Then, you wouldn't have been the man I judged you. Jane looked out toward the stars. You're not what everyone supposes you to be, Timon the Black. For that matter, neither are you. No surprise, it's not everyone who gets to decide who a man is. Still, for reputation's sake, I'll keep your secret if you'll keep mine. Agreed? Agreed. Shall we swear binding oaths? Jane asked, smiling. The magician smiled, too. No need. I trust you. Well, I I chose this story because um, it's a little deceptive. It it has a very lighthearted tone, but the moral is one that really speaks to me, which is, you know, Jane sort of sees himself as this devil-may-care kind of guy that that lives life on the spur of the moment and and by the seat of his pants. Timon has a very specific task that he's trying to accomplish, and Jane is the tool that he needs. What we discover as the reader And what Jane discovers is that his motivations for living run much deeper than he himself knows or even understands about himself. And and it's the job of the wizard, right, the mentor, to point out to us, to help us discover who we are and why we're here. It's a a classic, you know, mentor-mentee story for me. He's this guy that has this reputation for being really evil, but what we discover is he's he's utilitarian, right? Um, but he's also very thoughtful. Um, he's a wise master, and who doesn't want a wise master for a teacher? There, there, I, I, I am so blessed to have had really wonderful mentors. However, it, it is and always has been my mom who really saw me um, and saw in me what I didn't even know was there. 
And I also like I like to tell a story of, of, about um, a, a real sort of formative experience when I was in the third grade. And my teacher was a woman named Mrs. Twiggs. And Mrs. Twiggs, um, Mrs. Twiggs loved to go in the afternoon after lunch and make herself a, a cup of tea in the teacher's lounge and then come back to class. And she would leave me in charge with a book. And as the best reader in the class, uh, it was my responsibility to, to read aloud to the class because Mrs. Twiggs knew that if I was reading aloud, then they would be quiet and they would be listening and that she would come back to order in, instead of chaos. And, and as I look back on that experience, that really was an early example of someone who saw me, who saw my value, my something I was good at, a talent, and and employed it. I was the right tool for the job so that Mrs. Twiggs could get her afternoon tea. And, and it's one of those instances in my life when I look back and I see I was really destined to do what it is I do. It was really clear to me that, number one, I knew I was the best reader in the class— uh, nobody in the third grade would read better than I did. And and I recognized that this was why I was being singled out and given a, a, a position of responsibility. Being in charge of the class for the 10, 15 minutes while she was gone was, you know, that's a heady responsibility for a third grader. There is a real sense of, of, of purpose and power in, in that moment, right? Um, and I... I I remember I, I relished in that opportunity. I was proud of my reading prowess. I was proud that Mrs. Twiggs, you know, trusted me in that way. It made me feel good. It made me feel valued. It made me feel important. LeVar Burton Reads is produced by Julia Smith. Editing and sound design by Adam Dibert. And a special thanks to Dan Gallucci at Little Everywhere for his help in producing this episode. And a very special thanks to Mr. Richard Parks for today's story. You can find other titles by Richard at richard-parks.com and, of course, on Audible. And please, if you love the show and want to help other people find it, give us a rating or review us on Apple Podcasts. We'll be back next week with another handpicked story, or if you can't wait that long... Listen to the next episode right now on Stitcher Premium. To find out more, visit stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Ginny Radelette. We also want to give a big thanks to Matt Gordon. I'm LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at, at LeVarBurton.com and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take. My word for it. Stitcher. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Couric here to tell you about a new episode of my podcast. My co-host, Brian Goldsmith, and I sat down with Mitch Landrieu, the mayor of New Orleans. You might have heard his eloquent speech recently marking the removal of a Robert E. Lee statue in his hometown. It got a lot of attention. Do you get a lot of people angry on the streets, Frust yelling uh, at you? Very, what, what's the well, worst thing someone has all, said to you? Well, there's a beautiful park in 
New Orleans. I ride around on my bike every morning, and it is not uncommon for people in that park to yell at me, like, get out of this park. You're a dictator. We hate you. We hope that you've stopped being mayor tomorrow. We also talk about the surprising role of cities in the Trump era. Mayors across the country are really doing innovative things. We're learning from each other, and we're creating national policies from local action. To hear the episode, just search Katie Couric. You can subscribe now in Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.